0: The first time I ever interacted with John 19 was when I was a boy. And my mother had been reading Bible stories to my brothers and I. And we were reading the Gospels, and I had fallen in love with Jesus, and and I really loved the guy. I mean, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he taught people beautiful things. I loved the parables and the stories, even though I didn't know the meaning, the meanings of these parables, but, man, they were engaging stories. And then around Easter time, my mom appropriately chose to read the Easter story to us. And then comes to John 19 where we are told told the sufferings of Jesus and it leads to this climax where he's in Golgotha on on a cross and he says it's finished and he dies. And I sit there and I look at my, uh, my, my mom and I say, wait a minute, mom, how could this be? There is something wrong with this story. How could Jesus die? He's the good guy. See, as he was going through um, suffering after suffering before his death, I am waiting for angels to show up. I'm waiting for a superhero to save the day, but there's none forthcoming. And Jesus ends up dying on the cross. And in my mind, I was thinking, the person who wrote this story doesn't really know how to write stories. This is not how this story is supposed to end. Why did Jesus have to die? was my question why did Jesus have to die couldn't God have found a different way couldn't the author of this story have found a different way to tell this story or to end this story see to answer the question why did Jesus have to die we would have to consider three factors and these three factors kind of work together they're kind of layered together and the three are these first our rebellion and sin the second is god's justice and the third is god's mercy so let's look at our rebellion our sin i remember the first time I was a, i became a dad my wife and i were so excited to receive our baby boy he was handsome he was cute he was lovely and we were first-time parents, and we made sure the house was clean, and we made sure that we had soft music playing in the background. We have some lovely books, and we wanted to read some nice stories to this guy. We wanted to model what it truly means to be a nice, gentle, wonderful human being. And so my son is growing and developing, and he's a toddler, and he's crawling, and he's using furniture to, to pry himself to his feet, to stand up. And then as he was moving about and be basically baby talking all over, he began to discover different things, you know, touching things and grabbing things. Now my wife wears glasses, and so there were times when she'd be laying on the couch and she'd remove her glasses, put them on a coffee table, and my son would look at the glasses and he'd be like, oh, this shiny thing, they've been hanging on Mummy's face, let me look at them. And so he will extend his hand to go grab the glasses. And my wife will see this and say, hey, son, don't touch the glasses. Those are mommy's glasses. But my son would look at the glasses. They're nice and shiny. They'll look at mom, look at the glasses, and proceed to go touch the glasses. I mean, they're shiny. I want them. And my wife will say, son, don't touch the glasses. I'll count one, two. And my son would be looking at the glasses and looking at uh, my wife. And he would just proceed to grab the glasses. And it's almost like, with a defiant face, it's almost like, what are you going to do about it? And yes, mom, you can count to 10 if you'd like, 15 for, or, or 20 even. But I'm still grabbing the glasses. My question then is, where does this defiance come from? If, if you've ever been a parent, you know. But most parents, yeah, this is the first time you see the defiance, it's there. Where does it come from? You see, the scriptures tell us, that we inherited sin, original sin from Adam. And it's passed on from generation to generation. All of us have this sin nature in us. You see, the reason we are called sinners is not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And that is why Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, no exceptions, and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, of course, when my son is touching the glasses and my wife is counting and he's not letting go, there are consequences there. So we tell him, hey, time out, and he hates time out and all that. There are always consequences for defiant behavior. And so what are the consequences for sinners who have sinned and defied God's law? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 will say, for the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We deserve what is coming. And you know the tragedy there? The tragedy is we cannot avoid what's coming. There is no amount of good works that will save you and I. There is no amount of praying, of pleading, of trying to to, to meditate or any of that that will save us from what's to come. We are guilty as charged. We have defied God's law, rebelled against him. So that's factor number one. So now let's layer it. The second would be God's justice. Now, there is a show that I've been watching during this quarantine time called Forensic Files. I've watched just a couple episodes of this show. And basically, the premise of the show is to they tell a story of a crime that took place. And um, they will outline the, the events and narrate the events, the sequence of events that led to the death of an individual. And then the investigative team would come in and they will now begin to look at the clues and the telltale signs to see what took place and who could be the criminal here. And of course, at the end of the day, all this evidence would now point to one individual who would now be charged with a crime. And then this person will have now to stand before a judge. And as the person is standing before the judge, all this evidence, all this forensic evidence is placed before the judge or before the jury. And the jury will consider all the evidence and then they'll come up with a verdict, guilty. This person did it. His DNA was in the scene. His, a, a, a little strand of fiber from his sweater was found there. He's guilty as charged. And so now we'll be waiting for the judge to sentence the guilty individual. See, it would be the same for us here, where when we look at the sum total of our lives, we are guilty as charged. Who can stand and say they haven't sinned? Who can say, who of us could say that we haven't shunned God, defied Him, rebelled against Him? There are so many things. We have a rap sheet that actually condemns each and every one of us. And so God's justice demands. Full payment for sin. God is holy. And God is just. And to be a holy and a just God, he cannot sweep your sins under the carpet. He cannot pretend that you did not do wrong or that I did not do wrong. He can't. If he does, then he ceases to be God. And because we sinned, there's got to be a consequence for that sin. For him to remain A just God. He is just. We are sinners. Therefore, God will bring judgment. Now, the story could end there. And man, that would be a very heavy story. So, we are observing Good Friday today. And so, what makes Good Friday, Good Friday? And it's this third point In our lair. So the first was our rebellion, the second was God's justice, the third is God's mercy. So when we talk about God's mercy, what do we mean? You see, many of us walk in fear and we assume that God is out to get us. See, I remember as a young Christian, I just accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I was afraid of doing anything wrong because if I do something wrong, God might punish me or God might be so upset with me, and he would say, Ezra, no more eternal life for you and kick me out of his kingdom. And so I was living in fear because I thought God is a wrathful God, and in order to be in good terms with him, I had better be in my best behavior. But that's not the God. Of the scripture. See, the God of the scriptures is a God who's described as a God who is rich in mercy. He's not just merciful. He is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love towards sinners. A God who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. So passages that would show this would be John 3.16 as an example. And this is what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So just let, let John 3.16 just sit with you for a minute. For God so loved the world, this wicked, rebellious world. God loved it that he sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. Perish, why? Why perish? Because of our rebellion. But he sent his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or let's look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we didn't acknowledge him, Christ Died for us. Or look at 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. A verse that describes the love of God. John writes saying, this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we didn't love God. But God loved us. And it was his love that moved him to send his son. In other words, in other words, God moved by his love for us, took our sins and he took our guilt and he charged them against his own son. So the death of Christ on the cross accomplished two things. The first, it satisfied God's just demands. God is a just God. He cannot sweep your sins under the rug. He cannot pretend that it didn't happen. So the death, the death of Christ on the cross satisfied, excuse me, God's just demands. And secondly, it accomplished what his love sought out to accomplish, and what is that? forgiveness for sinners like you and me. So to the question that I asked at the very beginning, why did Jesus have to die? Did he really have to die? Did Jesus have to die? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes. Why? Because at the cross, at the cross, two things were satisfied. Two things met and they were satisfied. The first, the fullness of God's wrath towards the sinner. And the riches of God's mercy and grace and love, those two things met at the cross the fullness of his wrath toward the sinner, and the riches of his grace, his mercy, and love toward the sinner, those two things met at the cross and they were both satisfied. They were both satisfied. And that's the good in Good Friday, where your sin and mine fully paid the love of God, moved God To send his only son to die on a cross to pay for your sin and to meet God's righteous demands. That is glorious news. And so I hope as you and your family spend some time today reflecting on the finished work of Christ on the cross. May Good Friday leading up to Easter Sunday. May your hearts be filled with joy. Gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has accomplished on our account.